Come on and celebrate the faithfulness of God. If he's been faithful in your life, Andy, I want to hear you clap and praise the Lord. Everybody say, thank you, Lord. He got you up today. He didn't have to wake you up this morning, but he did. He's a good God. Come on, let's pray together. Father God, we are so grateful for your faithfulness. God, of this I am certain we could stand here all day long. And in a crowd this size, Father, the truth is we could actually stand here all week and declare time and time and time again that you have been so faithful to us. And as those memories flood our minds right now, Lord, we just want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for bringing us into this world. You didn't have to. We want to say thank you for our mother who brought us into this world. She didn't have to, unfortunately. We want to say thank you, Father God, that she gave birth to us. And we've been spending our lives, Lord, trying to figure out what it is like to live for you and experience life in its fullness. You woke us up this morning. Oh, God, you didn't have to, but you did. And we ask that as we enter into this time of studying the word of God, we ask that you would speak to us. Father, as we often pray, we ask that you would take our minds. Would you think through them? Would you take our hearts, Father God? Would you fill with them? Lord Jesus, I know it's a bold prayer, but would you take my lips and speak through them today? For if you do not speak, then nothing of any significance will have been spoken. We pray it in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the people of God said together, amen, 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 amen. You may be seated. I am in the house with some Easter people. Come on. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hey, I just want to welcome you. I want to first of all welcome our guest. Uh, if you're a guest here, man, you need to know that we've been expecting you. Take out your teaching notes. Everybody grab these, these, these program or teaching notes that you got in, uh, got on your way in. You can follow along with me today. But if you'll notice, there's a little note up there, welcome to Easter. And like we have literally been praying and expecting our guests among us. And if you're a guest, uh, my name is Benji. I'm just uh, uh, honored that you're here. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are just thrilled to have you. We are a multi-ethnic, multi-generational movement of God sprawling throughout the Carolinas and into Kenya. And we were expecting you at all of our campuses. We love all people, but let me tell you what, we love our guests. So New Hope, would you just let our guests know how glad we are that they are here. I welcome all of the campus locations to in Kenya, Kaganjo, and Thika Town, Columbia, Garner, Sanford, Wake, Hillsboro, Durham, Church Online. If you're watching this online anywhere, we are thrilled that you are here with us today. And I can't help but notice that there is a couple sitting up here to my left that I just want to honor for just a moment, kind of go off the plan for just a second here and honor a beautiful couple. I'm going to take you back down memory lane. You guys remember Hurricane Florence? Remember that? Seems like a long time ago, but we are a church that believes in moving from the seats to the streets. Can I get an amen? 
We are a church that believes in spreading the love of God outside of the church. We gather on Sundays, but the church is the people of God everywhere they go. Amen. Well, we mobilized teams of people and through your faithful tithes, we we decided we were going to go down to the coast and we were going to bless some people. And a family is here. Let me tell you about them. And then with their permission, I'm going to ask them to stand up. This is Michael and Sar, and they have two kids, Aliyah and Malik. And I want to show you some pictures of their house. Here's what their house looked like the day after Hurricane Florence. Yeah. Yeah, that's water. Here it is after they started to gut it out. Here we are with our troops. I could show you tons of pictures of us in their house working, but I'll just show you one. There's just volunteers all up in this house all this time since Florence. And here is a picture of their house now. Come on. Come on. It's called Hope Missions. Hope Missions. H-O-P-E around here stands for helping other people everywhere. And uh, we're just so thrilled that y'all are with us. Do you? I know they would love to see you, and the campuses would love to see you. Would you? Would you mind standing where you are? This is the beautiful couple with their two kids. Are your kids? Thank you so much. Are your kids in Hope Town, or did you just leave them at the hotel? <laughs> Hope town. All right. We're so glad you guys are here. That probably would have been something I would have done without Amy Lynn's help. Just leave them home alone, if you know what I'm saying. Anywho, hey, um, what, do you, what do you think of it? Give me a word. Give me a word that comes to mind when, when I say Easter. Easter, Easter. Give me some dialogue. Resurrection. Come on, come on. Redeemed. Come on. Hope. Huh? Huh? Rise, rise, rise. I think of rise donuts when you say rise. But anyway, <laughs> glory to God. Um, I, you know what I think of? Here's a word. I think of all those words, but I tend to think of a word uh, when I think about Easter, the word surprise. Because when I think about it from a human's perspective and I read the gospels, they were completely surprised that Jesus rose from the dead. They, had, they didn't expect this. They didn't, they didn't know this was coming. They never saw it coming. And Jesus rises from the dead and he greets them. I remember one time I was teaching a bunch of kids the, the Bible story of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I was a student pastor, but the children's ministry team roped me in to teaching the little children, the elementary children during VBS. You guys remember VBS? Vacation Bible school. And uh, this is when the kids come into the sanctuary. It was the middle of the week. So I was in there and I was teaching a sanctuary full of little kiddos and their parents were in the back. And I was walking them through the fact that God's one and only son came and he died on a cross for them. And there's nothing like building, right? The anticipation of Easter and the surprise. And then I start walking the kids on a kid's level, how Jesus died and how they put spikes in his hands and they thrust a crown on his head and they put spikes in his feet and they hung him up on the cross. And I saw a little sweet little girl down here and a little tear came down her face. And then I got to it, into it a little bit more and the parents were in the back and they were gasping. And I had them, if you will, from a communications perspective, I had them in the palm of my hand. I was about to deliver the surprise element of Easter, but I was still at the cross when one little red-haired, freckled-faced little boy said, oh, y'all don't worry. He comes back. I've heard the story. <laughs> like somebody get the little freckled-faced boy out of here. <laughs> There's nothing like the surprise element of Easter. 
and it blew Mary's mind. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, in honor of God's word, to stand as we read the Easter passage today from John chapter 20. If you love the word of the Lord, can you say amen? amen. Early, John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Now, if you're a note taker, you need to pick up on little nuggets like this because we all love Peter, right? We find solidarity in Peter. He's the guy who always puts his foot in his mouth, right? But here's a little nugget for you. Peter wasn't that fast. <laughs> Peter, Peter, Peter needed to get out and run a half marathon or something, right? I don't know, but Peter got outrun, right? And the other guy reaches the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him. Peter finally gets there, you know what I mean? Behind him and went straight into the tomb, he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place. For you OCD people like me, for you people who like order, and you think things should be in their right place, there's a verse for you. Quote that to your spouse, right? That they were in order. It was, it was lying in its place. Everything has a place and there's a place for everything. Can I get an amen from the orderly people? Just saying, ooh, 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 I like you. I like you, we could get along. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scriptures, see, they didn't get it, that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary, now listen to this. This is an unbelievable encounter between Mary and Jesus. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Jesus this time, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Everybody say Mary. Jesus just calls her name in a very intimate moment. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them, that he had said these things to her. Wow, I love, I love the stillness of this moment. As we stand under the authority of the word of the Lord. 
feel led to do this. Here's another tradition that goes way back to the church. And some of you experienced this because you grew up in the high church. You know what I mean? High church, liturgical church. Let's go there today. The pastor would stand up before the people. And after a moment like that where it was this pregnant, he'd say the word of God for the people of God. And the people would declare back, thanks be to God. Oh, you've been there. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. C.S. Lewis, the great scholar from Oxford University, said this. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing, Lewis said, it cannot be, is moderately important. It could be said, and I completely agree, that it is Good Friday and Easter Sunday morning that is the very hinge on which the door of Christianity either swings wide open or it shuts so quickly. This is the catalytic event on which Christianity rises or it falls It is either infinitely important, as Lewis says, it cannot be moderately important. Easter is all about the fact that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. In fact, that's a little pithy saying. That's the title of the last chapter of my book, which is based on the resurrection. It's the title of my message today. This changes everything. Everything. Say it with me. This changes everything. If Jesus really was crucified on the cross, on the outskirts of Jerusalem, this changes what? Everything. If Jesus literally, I don't mean figuratively, I don't mean metaphorically, if Jesus literally died, flatlined, dead for three days, but then all of a sudden rose from the dead, Walked through walls, as the Bible says. Ate sushi, glory to God, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Ascended to heaven before the startled eyes of his earlier followers. Say it with me. This changes everything. If Jesus truly has the power to radically change the trajectory of one's life, what? This changes everything. And if God Almighty... Breathe the Holy Spirit into the lives of those earlier followers like he will do in your life and in my life today. And he's with us and he's promised to never leave or forsake us. Come on, church. What? This changes everything. This changes how we live. Can I get an amen? This changes how we love. This changes how we spend our money. This changes what we do with our time. This changes our priorities in life. This truly changes everything. But here's the question. Why then do so many people experience a less than par version of Christianity? If it truly changes everything, because I know what what some of you are thinking when I'm up here saying these kinds of things. Some of you are like, yeah, right, whatever, dude. It hadn't changed everything for me. Why is it if The Bible says, Jesus said, John 10, 10, I have come that they might have abundant life and have it now. Why do so many people 
still struggle and they don't experience the abundant life and the fact that Jesus really does change everything. Take out your teaching notes and follow along with it. I actually want to talk to you a little bit about optics. About what? Optics, visuals. I want, to, I want to talk to you about the way in which we view God. There's a place for you to fill in the blanks there. Follow along with me. You see, I think one of the reasons it's a subpar experience for some people, not all of us, I know, but for some people, is that we've actually learned to look at God the wrong way. In other words, we, we actually have some unfaithful images of God. We actually have some, might I say, biblically inaccurate optics when it comes to God. And the first one I find is a fence. You know what a fence is for. You probably have one at your house. A fence is to keep you on one side and they on the other side, right? A fence is like a barrier, man. A fence is like something that's going to, going to keep people out. And here, here's the reality. Some of you have been taught, and if, if, if pastors like myself have done this to you, I know there's a lot of harm and damage, and I'm so sorry on behalf of the church universal. If, if somebody, maybe it, was a, maybe it was a tough riding, hard driving parent. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it's your own psyche. But there's this common optic that people experience when they think about God, and it's the fence. And, and here's what it is. I know God's out there. See, if you're this person, you know God's out there. You believe in God. You believe he exists. You're not an atheist. You're not an agnostic. You actually believe. But there's this barricade. There's this fence. And, and God just seems to be right on the other side, out of reach. He seems to be an unreachable God. And again, I just want to tell you that that is a wrong picture of God. In the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, in the creation story, the very first story that we find of humanity tells us that Adam and Eve sinned. They were just like you and they were just like me. In fact, they were just like all of us. Listen, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So they sinned and they hid. They hid. They, 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 they didn't want to be with God. There was this fence. And, and the Bible says this. Why don't you read it out loud with me? Ready? Go. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, what? Where are you? The reason this is a bad optic is because God has always been trying to reach you. God searches for humanity. I know that we tend to not search for humanity and we tend to think that God is kind of out there omnipotent. He's too big. He's, he's too unfathomable. No, 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 no. Listen, the Bible teaches us in the very first book of the Bible that God searches for humanity. So if this is part of your story, this is an unfaithful version of Christianity. The other one is probably going to impact more of you. And it's the latter. It's the latter. You're like, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by this. Some of you have been taught and trained. And again, this is definitely something we pastors are guilty of doing. You've been taught 
and trained and convinced, again, maybe by a parent or an aunt or an uncle or whatever, you've been taught that if I can only be good enough, I'll be a Christian. Come on now. If I can only be a better wife, then one day I'll be a Christian. If I can only be a better husband, a better parent, a better colleague, a better, a better person. And so what happens is we, we, we build this structure in our lives that our Christian experience is all about trying to climb the rungs of works righteousness. That I'm just going to try and be a better man, a better dad, a better husband. And if, if this is you, this is one telltale way for you to know this is your struggle. You find Christianity utterly exhausting. Why? Because you're always trying to live better. You're always, how high can he go? I didn't get this high yesterday, church. By the end of the day, I'm going to be standing on the top of this thing. You better pray for me. And your Christian experience is all about what you do. And it's exhausting. And you think you're one day going to be saved by being a good person. Listen to me. You're never going to earn your salvation. Christianity, come on church, Christianity is not about what you do. It's all about what he has done on Good Friday and Easter Sunday morning. It's not about what we do. This is freeing. This is liberating for you. Peter, the the mug that couldn't run that fast, he couldn't earn it. Martin Luther of the Protestant Reformation, he couldn't learn it. Martin Luther King Jr., one of my mentors and heroes, he couldn't learn it. Billy Graham, the great Billy Graham, or his precious wife, Ruth, they couldn't couldn't scale the wrongs of works righteousness and earn it. You guys remember Ephesians 2? Remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? Come on, let's read it out loud together. For it is by God's grace that you have been through. It is not the result Come on, church. But God's gift so that no one can. What? It's all a gift. Everybody say gift. Yes. It's all a gift. So maybe what you need to do today, maybe what Easter 2019 will do for you is to get you to start coming down the wrongs of works righteousness. To get you to just marinate in the grace. And when you start trying, because this, this is deep in the psyche, deep in, deep in the DNA of somebody. When you start trying to scale it again and be better, Just rest in the fact that God loves you as you are. Now, the good news is when you enter into that relationship with him and you stop trying to earn it and you just abide in him, he changes you. That's the really good news. He'll change you when it's all said and done. I'm not talking about you never progressing into holiness and sanctification and all of those things and experiencing good godly living but it's not a result of your own effort. It's a result of what he will do in and through you. Listen, listen. There's nothing you can do today that will make God love you any more than he already loves you. Likewise, there's nothing you can do today that'll make God love you any less. He 
loves you. So just come on down the ladder of works righteousness. Sister about to get happy right here. Just come on down the ladder of work. Here's another one. See, this is a, this is a poor optic for God. This is a poor visual optic for God. Here's another one. Here's a trash can. How many of you got these at your house? If you don't, I'm sorry. Ooh. How, many, how many of you roll it out to the curb? See, see, the reason this is common is that a lot of times there are people who, when they think about God, they don't get lost in God's holiness. They don't get lost in his majesty. They don't get lost in the beauty of the glorious gospel. When they think of God, you know what they think about? Their own trash. They think about the junk that's in their lives. I can always tell when I'm around this person. It happened to me just this week. I was inviting this guy to church. You know what he said? Oh, pastor, you don't want me at your church. Lightning might strike the church if I walk in it. He immediately went to his own junk. You know you struggle with this. Whenever you think about God, you get, you get a sense of guilt. You go on a guilt trip. Because you are constantly thinking about your stuff instead of getting lost in the holiness of God, in the beauty of God, getting lost in the fact that God loves you. This is a different, this is kind of like a cousin to the works righteousness. Because I'm always thinking about the stuff that's in my life. And you know what's amazing to me as I read the Gospels? I really encourage you to read the Gospels maybe over the next few weeks through this lens. Read it through this lens. How did Jesus shatter the garbage can optic? Here's how he did it. Jesus always hung out with people who had the most junk in their lives. <laughs> you read the gospels and you, the, 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 the religious people, see this makes, this makes passages like the Bible, the gospel, what Jesus did, makes people like me uncomfortable. And I love it. You know who Jesus bothered the most? Religious people. The rabbis would gather around. Where's Jesus? He should be hanging out with us. We're the righteous ones. And I can just hear a rabbi going, he's probably down at the bar. Read the gospels. This is why when you read the gospels, you find that Jesus was always hanging out with people who had a jacked up story. He always hung around with people who needed him. Now, that's not to romanticize a jacked up story. Some of you have lived good, godly lives and praise God for that. But my point is very simply this. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. And God gravitates to those who realize their sinfulness and their need for God. In fact, Jesus told a parable. He told it in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 15. And he told the story of there being 99 sheep and 99 were just fine. But you remember one wandered off, one wandered off and was in need. And Jesus says these words in Matthew. Let's read it out loud together. Will he not leave the 99 on the hillside and go for the one sheep that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. Jesus said this one day. He said, I've not come for the healthy. I've come for the sick. Yes. 
it was Jesus's way of saying, I'm like a doctor. No, we got some doctors in the house. Praise God for doctors. He said, I'm like a doctor, but a little different. I'm like a spiritual doctor. And I'm going to heal and hang out with those who are sick. Church, that's a beautiful image of God, not getting lost in your garbage. These are all bad, wrong, biblically inaccurate images of God. And yet these three are incredibly popular. Maybe I've touched you in one way, shape or form with these three. So let me give you the biblically accurate optic for imagining God. It's a door. It's a what church? It's a door. Write it in. Write it in your teaching notes. It's actually a door. And the Bible says that if we open the door, God will come in. And God will, here's a word that some translations use, God will fellowship with us. This is not Benji's language. This is, this is actually what the Bible says. Why don't we read it, in fact, in Revelation 3. Ready? Go. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I will come in and sup with them. Some of your translations might say, I will come in and fellowship with them. Jesus says, I stand at the door and what? I stand at the door and knock. Notice that when I had this door made for this, I told him no doorknob on this side. Did you notice this? No doorknob. Because Jesus says, I stand at the door and I Anyone who, who what? Anyone who opens the door, opens the door of their mind, their heart, their soul, anyone who opens the door of their life, you don't even have to step through the door. Did you notice that? If you had to step through it, it'd be based upon your stepping through it. You'd be at the ladder. Anyone who what? Opens the door. The Bible says, I will come in and fellowship with him or her. You see, Jesus will never kick down the door. He'll never force himself on you. If he did that, it wouldn't be a relationship. Why? Because relationships are not forced. They're not coerced. He just stands at the door and he does what, church? So one more time, my question for you is, I wonder if on Easter 2019, you would simply open the door and invite him in to your life for the first time or maybe the 50th time. You see, the power of opening up the door, if you will, opening up the door of your mind and your heart and your life to God is it's profoundly and eternally shaping for the first time. But it is also profoundly powerful every time I say, today, God, I'm just going to open my life to you. And I invite you to come in and fellowship with 
me. We're going to invite you in just a moment to sing a song with us. And the song is titled Living Hope. What is it, church? Living Hope. And what I want to do in this moment is I want to invite you to listen for the Holy Spirit of God. Feel the pause. I want to invite you to hear if God's knocking on your heart, in your life. And I'm going to come up after this song and I'm going to invite you to swing wide the door of your life. And based upon what Easter is all about, the fact that God has come near, he has drawn near to us in his son, Jesus. I'm going to invite you to receive the gospel for the first time or the second or the 10th or the 50th and celebrate what he has done for you to, to do away with some of these bad optics and walk out of here today, understanding the idea of a door and that God's knocking and I just have to open my life. Within this song, we've got some powerful testimonies. And these testimonies, we're hoping, will minister to you. The power of this Wrecked and Redeemed series. And I don't know about you, but I'm a little sad to bring it to an end today. The power of this series is that you guys have found strength in my jacked up story. And by understanding that, that we can all share our stories and just be authentic and real. You're going to hear some stories today that I hope will encourage you to continue to swing wide the door of your life and open yourself to Christ, but also realize that the best thing you can ever do, regardless of your story, whether you cut your teeth on the pews of the church and you grew up in the church or you got a jacked up wreck story like me, the beauty of wrecked and redeemed is that we all understand that we are living life best when we let God use our story, come on, for his glory. That is the power of a living hope. Romans 15, 13 was the founding verse of this church 17 years ago. I want you to read it out loud with me as we transition into this song. May the God of Fill you with all joy and peace as you, so that you may overflow with, by the power of the Holy Spirit. May you have ears of faith to hear God in this moment knocking. The question will be, what will you do when you hear him knocking?